Welcome to Counterplan, a podcast that explores and challenges the way our government and society functions. I'm Elijah Buchanan. And I'm Walker Kerr. And for our first episode, um, we just want to discuss an idea that Walker mentioned to me recently about what the MOP from Ender's Game could look like in the real world. Yeah, and so for those unfamiliar or maybe just haven't read the prequels to the Ender's Game book, um, the MOP or the MOPs as referred to in the book is pretty much an organization of the most elite soldiers from all around the world. And so the idea of what we want to discuss today is maybe how that would function within our society and, well, first take a look at what it is in Ender's Game and then look at how it would function in our real world today and how feasible it is. Okay. (laughs) And then, so the Mobile Operations Police is an organization that recruits from all of the most prestigious military commands and all of the most prestigious military groups from each individual country and nation and they're controlled by a group or a council put together called the strategos who control what they are allowed to and not allowed to intervene in and where they're allowed to help and where they're not allowed to help so if i recall correctly in ender's game or really the prequels like bean story where it starts um the MOP or Mobile Operations Police, they're controlled from New Zealand, right? Or based there? Okay, so this... So, the way that the MOPs works, they are controlled by the Strategos, which is put together for multiple countries. Now, where you may have gotten confused is the main character from the prequels, or one of them, is Mazarakum, and he is from New Zealand. Oh, and actually, okay. <laughs> and yeah. he fails to be recruited in... When you're first introduced to the character, he's in the recruitment for the mobile operation police, Mm -hmm. and he fails because they put him in pretty much a room and tell him to escape while he's being put, like, more and more pain on him. Oh, right. I remember that scene. Yeah. Yeah, and so he just keeps on singing Maori songs instead of escaping, and so fails the test and Mm -hmm. gets sent back home to be part of the pretty much just to be part of the special military organization for New Zealand Yeah, because, like, wasn't his assumption there that their test was to see how long he could endure the pain or something instead <laughs> yeah. of getting out? Instead of escaping, he thought that he was just really supposed to endure the pain, which yeah. <clears throat> it got to the point where he could have had permanent brain damage because he waited so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So... Okay, so what types of things does the MOP end up doing in Ender's Game? Because I know they're related to, like, when the aliens, whose name I can't actually remember now. Formix. Formix, yep. So when they touched down in China, for those of you who don't know, um, this was the huge Chinese invasion where the Formix came, landed there, and just started massacring everyone and eliminating as many human beings as they possibly could. The MOPs were involved in a response to that, correct? Yeah, so pretty much at first the MOPs didn't get involved because the Strategos didn't want them to. So at the time, similar to the China that we know today, the China within the Ender's Game universe was actually very against any intervention. They wanted to do it all on their own and believed they could accomplish 
or get rid of the Formics on their own, and so yeah. they didn't want anyone to come in. And so the commander of the Mops, Widow Tool, actually subverted the orders of the Strategos and snuck through the borders and got in to help with the effort after uh, he saw Mazarakum's team helping save survivors within China. Okay. So, do you feel like that's enough information for us to move on to, hypothetically, what could something similar look like today? I think that that's probably enough information. I guess some of the things they were involved in, some, I guess, a better <laughs> explanation than just when the aliens attacked. Before that, they were mainly, like, stopping inhumane actions. There were, like, burnings of churches and stuff happening and many countries and you get to see these scenes before the formics invade where the mops are there saving civilians and preventing general violation of human rights globally and pretty much saving populations that were being oppressed by terrorist organizations and many things like that okay so basically what the basically what america and the un try to do through intervention, yes. but they actually were succeeding. Yes, and the mops was being actually an effective war on terror, at least for the global level, yeah. for Although, many like, countries. I feel like war on terror probably wasn't even the best way to think about what they were doing, especially since like war on terror today it started as something of a rallying cry, mm-hmm. and since has devolved into almost kind of, almost like a slur for particular types of policies since the war on terror has just had so many failures so so i guess a better a better thing would be to say like the what the war on terror was meant to be when we first publicized it it was more not even of that but of the same idea that the mops would public like publicize or publish all of the like videos of what was happening to mm-hmm. su- to support a rallying cry against the terrorist organizations and so they were also at the same time trying to play into that public aspect of rallying people together to fight terror okay so so they were publishing all of the videos from what they were doing and things like that yes so they would go into an area but they would all have the like just the head mounted cameras within their um helmets that they would where and then they'd compile footage afterward and publish it on forums so that people could see what was happening and so that the general public knew like the horrible things that were being done in these areas okay to kind of start a rally cry sort of thing against what was happening okay that makes sense so i think that's an interesting kind of contrast here because like you have the United States War on Terror, where things were a lot more secretive, it seemed worth, like, you know, the United States military has so many things that are classified and so many things that are arguably overclassified. Um, and also, we had very broad-ranged responses, you know. It wasn't... Yeah. It wasn't particular. I mean, like, killing Osama bin Laden arguably was not... This generalization, but later into like the Iraq war and things, it became a much, much broader kind of response Mm -hmm. that targeted the whole country generally rather than just particular aspects or groups. So I think those are probably, um, well, I think given everything, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm kind of drawing three main aspects of what made 
the mops different from any previous War on Terror-like attempt in that, first off, they were international, so they... Yes, that's very true. That was a big difference that we aren't seeing today is the international effort, or at least we aren't seeing quite on the scale written in Orson Scott Card is the international effort. And also kind of like separate from any particular government, correct? Well, yes, in the way that they were controlled by multiple separate countries with opposing views so so that by the way they were international, it was more like how we want it to be where it's multiple voices being heard on their council. Okay, so was the Strategos Council then, did it have representatives, well not representatives maybe, but in official influence from different governments? So I guess like, you know, the MOPS is made up of fighters from all around the world, correct? Yeah. And, and so then that's like a form of representation, but I guess what I'm asking is, did they have in Ender's Game official direction from any governments like you have a u.s board member a china board member yeah so we're not i don't think within the book itself we're actually privy to that information like okay but it's left to the reader to assume that it's a multi-country effort where they send a represent or they elect a representative to be on the council but that's all again left up to assumption and not directly said at any point within the books okay so I guess as we get further into what could this look like in the modern world, that's kind of a point where we're not even modeling the mops necessarily, but asking questions about what type of strategy could work better. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's the first one I'm noticing is that it's international. Um, the second one is really that transparency aspect we talked about. Um, and the fact that like the United States we're not very clear on some of the stuff that happened in Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan and everything in the Middle East. Um, Not very privy to that information. But really the third and biggest one um, would be the fact that it was very, that local community based. Like there's, there's a scene in the book that I remember and I might be remembering it slightly incorrectly. It's been a few years I since think I, I read know it. What you're, um, where yes. where they're in like a local village, yes. and they're yeah, and they're like rallying the people together in order to fight off their oppressors. And obviously, they're acting as the ones who have the more modern military yes. equipment and the training and things and everything. But they are doing it in a community based way. Yeah. So I believe <clears throat> the scene you're talking about. Yes, they're in this village and. The terrorist group, it's never mentioned what it is because I believe Orson Scott Card doesn't want to polarize any of the readers through political views. You're just told, I believe it was like in India or somewhere like that, they're in this small village Mm -hmm. that's being terrorized and the terrorists locked a bunch of people in in like the local church and set it on fire and you're just introduced to this scene where the mops are there helping the people out, getting them out using their expertise to track the terrorists while also doing their best to save the individuals that are in the blaze. And in that scene, we're introduced to, for the first time in the whole book, an actual mop going down. One, They lose one of their own in that scene. Oh, and oh right. I remember that. Yeah. He dies saving the people from the fire. And so that's kind of like the shattering realization that like, these people have all these skills and they're still out there dying fighting yeah. the terrorist organization. So it's kind of, 
I believe Orson Scott Card was kind of introducing the fact that, like, these guys were really, really good, but they were still dying to the terrorist attacks and to the things they were facing. Yeah. And, it's, yeah, and I like that aspect of how, because, um, like, if you look at the way that um, the War on Terror often got portrayed, um, it often feels like it's being set up as this, like, we're a glorious force going in to liberate people, <laughs> yeah. correct? But here, the way he portrayed it, it was still the fact that they were trying to help those who were being oppressed, but it had a lot more humanity to it. And a lot more humility in the fact that we're not just saving these people, we're helping them save themselves. Yeah, and that's, I believe, one aspect that really held, like, the personal meaning of the mops to me. Like, how Mm -hmm. cool that idea was, was the fact that they were able to be so human and they didn't try, like, they did their best to be transparent. They didn't fake things that happened and they didn't, like do it and then be like we're the greatest they went and liberated these people and then taught them how to fight off the terrorists made sure that they were going to be okay and like instead of just like fighting them off and then bragging about it they stayed there and made sure that the people could build themselves back up and then there's no point within the book where they brag about their accomplishments whatsoever like, you have this trained force where no government is bragging about what they've done. It's just the fact that they fought off terror, and they don't, like, I guess that's one of, like, the core things about them is they don't need to brag about it. They just exist and do their job well. Hmm. That's, yeah. Huh. Yeah, so... Maybe, so for the first example we should look at, maybe we should consider something akin to NATO, because it was very clear in the books that China was not pro-mops. They did not have a very positive view on them, especially since they were trying to kick them out of their country, (laughs) because they were like, no, we'll deal with the aliens. So, if, say, so, maybe let's look at first, what if NATO formed something like Stratego? So... Instead of just NATO being the treaty organization of if Russia invades you, we'll come and fight back. Um, What if uh, something like NATO where you have a large group of Western nations coming together to fight that kind of a battle and form that kind of a force? What does that look like in this real world? And that's kind of a question that like the answer can be many different things but what we first of all see well what we first of all have to look at is the recruitment from the different areas so take nato for example we have to look at what individual special forces those countries have Mm -hmm. and get a good recruiting body and i also body and i also think one of the main aspects that really formed the mobile operations police was we would need a good commander like that's probably the biggest thing that made the mobile operations police so successful within the books was the person who led all of the assaults and i know that's a lot more like well i don't think that's necessarily like an irrelevant point or anything because like you do have the fact that 
maybe I'm wrong here, but the sense that I've gotten researching NATO, keeping up on what they're doing, is that these countries and these political leaders tend to view their military commitments more as like, almost like they're playing risk, where I have this many troops, you have this many troops, so I'll send them in. But the way that you're saying there that if that you required having a very particular kind of leadership in the organization yes. is something that I'm not certain whether or not our current world leaders would be effective at pulling in for such a group, especially since whoever, like, say, you know, the main commander comes from the U.S. versus comes from the U.K. or comes from Germany yeah. or any other NATO nation, that could have... For some politicians, probably a lot of reputational stakes. Yes, and there's always the political standard, and that's kind of why... And that's how it got so... Like, how the Strategos ended up... I think within the books, it's almost hinted at that they were um, more separate than most other representatives to these types of organizations were. Like, they were more separated from their country than you would probably take like say our an elected representative to nato would be so that they wouldn't be as influenced by politic like po political agendas and individual representatives and things like that that would influence who and who they helped and where the, of, they would go kind of like how the peace corps tries to be this very apolitical yes organization and there's i don't know ton about the specifics of the peace corps i know there's been some controversy about their recent actions but some a similar type of mission there where they have a stated mission and all their although they're funded by and sanctioned by governments the governments might not have quite as much control over their day-to-day -day actions yes as might be the case for a regular military force yes and that's probably that's a really good comparison to what the mobile op operations police really looked like and so I do think that's one of the big things is definitely the leadership and making sure that it's not too politicized because anything that's too politicized just takes far too long to accomplish. And so that's one of the main things if we just take NATO as an example of something that would form this kind of militia. And... I guess the other thing is you have to, like, look at the balance of where all of the different forces are special specialized in as well. Because when you get just a group of countries together, or if we look at NATO, we have to also take into consideration, like, which countries are stronger in different areas. Like, if you have three people who came from, like, the SEALs, yeah, who came from the SEALs, we would have to balance it out with people who were trained for different situations and kind of stuff like that. But I think while that's important, what is much more important is just keeping the, again, keeping the political aspect a bit farther away from the general reachings of this so that personal agendas or even agendas of the individual countries don't play a huge like don't play too much of a role in who these and who this organization is helping like again where the mops were helping a lot more locally 
and Mm -hmm. trying to generally just be like more of a humanitarian stop human rights i think i think another interesting aspect of that is that obviously if you have a situation where this is a government created organization you're going to want to have government officials um have the capability open to them to say no don't go to this thing right um or yes we want you in this particular area but what i think is interesting um is that like you're saying where they were able to pick and choose where it seemed most relevant for them to be I think it might be effective then if we were able to create a MOPS in the real world to set up in such a way where the representatives from different countries can veto particular actions and can command particular actions, but the MOPS doesn't need an okay for a specific action. So like say um, say that example of like that was given in the books of a terrorist attack that was happening in India. If the MOPS wanted to go in and prevent that, then they totally could unless their representative calls them up and says, hey, you're not allowed to. Or if, say, they weren't planning to interfere with a particular thing in the Middle East and then their representative tells them to, then they will. Um, But just having... But just an organization that could be small and specialized and have that sort of freedom while still receiving oversight by the fact that they have to be completely transparent and if they get vetoed by their government officials, they have to stop. Now, yes, and that does seem like it would be very functional. Now, past that, the next big issues like we're kind of looking at where if in the process of making a MOPS-like thing in this real world where we've already kind of discussed like the leadership and political standings the next big thing would be well honestly just the amount of paperwork and the people that you need to be able to go to the countries within this organization and just Mm -hmm. take their top men especially if these especially if these countries are facing domestic terrorist threats that are concerned by the like by the mops at the moment or things like that where they don't want to be losing these soldiers i know even in the book it's expressed multiple times when the commander wit o'toole goes to different places to recruit the generals there always make offhand comments they're like oh you're here to steal my men again and things like that that's kind of shows the tension behind the idea of losing a country's best person even if they think it's for like a quote-unquote greater cause that's still going to be a hard thing to accomplish, especially in today's world. Yeah. And, um, you know, I feel like that kind of tension is likely always going to exist when you have multiple nations cooperating together. Because, so, because there's been multiple different types of trees that have been created um between different nations where they'll like agree not to use a particular kind of weapon right um like there's a i forget the exact name of the bomb because it was about a year ago actually that i debated this in congress um but it was oh yes yeah it was a resolution to join a particular treaty that would ban us from using any cluster cluster it was the cluster bomb the cluster bomb bill yeah and one of the biggest arguments against that actually was that the bill, well, the particular cluster bomb treaty undermined 
nation sovereignty that like the u.s was too locked in about what they had to do and they couldn't use their own discretion and i feel like that kind of attention and that kind of an object um concern really is always going to be an issue with something like this because you have the fact that if the mops is able to come in and recruit anyone from any nation then some of the nations might have serious reservations about that due to the fact that their men can just leave whenever and they don't know if their best talent is going to be stolen yeah and i do believe that's true in any situation i just yeah it's true that that tension will exist in all of these situations and probably even more so in the case of taking the best like the best of the best away it's honestly like going and it's honestly like if an organization came and hired Maverick away from Top Gun like halfway through his career I love that show so that he was so that Maverick had to go off and was unable to complete the missions that we watch him complete within the Top Gun movies yeah and so that that would be probably a stumbling block to getting anything like this started and that aspect of countries not wanting to give up some of their independence in order to cooperate on something like this would be probably one of your biggest concerns. Um, And also the fact that a mop like this would probably also have concerns with relations with other with countries that are not in like NATO or whatever particular group established it. Like the fact that Russia, they're, invasion of Ukraine, um, they've stated publicly that they felt provoked by nation's expansion along Russia's borders. And that type of concern and that type of um, really fear would probably arise out of nations that weren't part of that MOPS in-group. And although many of those nations would probably be the ones that had more issues with terrorists and authoritarian regimes and all of those you know, terrible things that we really want to try and mitigate in the world, it's still the case that having an organization that is publicly and openly interfering with things inside their borders, probably oftentimes without any permission to do so, could provoke a lot of hostility from foreign nations. Yeah, and so that kind of takes into effect the, sh- the kind of strategy so another thing that wasn't really mentioned before on my part was the way that the mops would use their, like, publicity, like, quote, publicity stunts, or pretty much being transparent, to make it, in general, so that the nation couldn't be upset with them. So things that they did, so we see them doing some pretty outrageous things, at least in the eyes of China, when we when the formics land down. When the mops go in and start saving people, China is at first very outraged with what's happening, but then when they start sharing strategies on killing the formics and sharing strategies on how they're saving people, and then I think the biggest one that got them actually moving was when Mazarakum's team was saving people from under the formic landers, they put out on like live news a video of a New Zealand soldier in China pulling a child, an eight-year-old child, out of the mud. Mm -hmm. 
And so that really like made it so not only China had to take action, but it also made it so that China couldn't be provoked because of the publicity of the video. And so there were many stunts like that within the mobile operations police where it would be to the point that if they tried to be outraged, then there would be like global unrest after the they'd seen the videos of how the mobs and, helped them. Yeah, and if I recall correctly too, they did in their videos um, somewhat intentionally make it appear as if they were already working with the Chinese government. And so then the Chinese government in this difficult situation were like, hey, we have the formic threat, you're sharing with us meaningful strategies, and on the world stage they already think we're working together, and yes. our people in our nation already think we're working together. They kind of ended up um, kind of yeah. giving in to receiving the help from the mobs. Yeah. And so th and, and they did it in a diplomatic way, too. Yeah. Like, in the videos... They gave all the credit to the Chinese generals. Yeah. They said these generals ordered us to go here. And even though it was on false, like, even though the statement itself was false, it made it so that the, like, so that diplomatically it kind of slid into place so that China didn't have to be angry or upset and they could just take credit for the actions that the mobs had taken and then just move on with the war. And it actually gave them a really strong front to push the Formics back in the first war. Hmm. So I think that that says something interesting about what could happen if an organization like the MOPS existed that was semi-independent from other nations and was very, very community-focused and transparent, um, while at the same time being ultra dedicated to that specific goal of taking down terrorist organizations and tyranny in all its forms that you have that aspect of they were actively cooperating with the local government there and that they were um almost forcing them into a position where they had to see what they had to offer um which i think is really really would be valuable in today's world because you know, say, um, say with issues with terrorism in the Middle East, um, say that instead of the entire U.S. military having gone in, you yes. have a small mops group that goes in, takes out the leaders of the extremist groups and works with the community and is very public. That, um, that helps bring those who are more willing to try and solve the problem, makes them feel more comfortable joining in on it and also um brings those who might be a little worried apprehensive about it um otherwise make sure there's the public support behind it to bring them in and i think also another key aspect here is the fact that the pride that nations have seems to be extremely valuable to them um yeah. like like i feel like china would if china had some particular terrorist threat happening I mean, the CCP isn't very open to receiving help anyway, but if they were in a situation where they had to end up cooperating with an independent international anti-terrorist group versus a branch of the U.S. military, they would be a lot more willing to cooperate with that more independent group because it says less about where your political yeah. obligations lie and more about where your values lie. And so... 
I guess that kind of transitions us pretty nicely into the discussion of vigilante of yeah a vigilante of where mops. it would be vigilante and we actually get a kind of clear picture of this later on in the series when the captain widow tool does things that even the strategos don't command so when we were talking about the mobile operations police landing in china and helping out killed the Formix in China, and eventually destroyed one of the three landers that landed in China, this all happened actually because of subverted orders from the Strategos, where they actually were acting as a vigilante group. Oh, really? And Widow Tool used the same publicism-type campaign that he did with China on the Strategos to make it so that the Strategos had to take credit for the explosion that destroyed one of the landers. Yeah. And so we kind of got, like, the view into... With no government control, if there were still this, like, group in place where, like, within the mops, say there were... I think in the book it says there are around 40 men. There were still the main, like, three or four who made the big decisions. Now, of course, everyone chipped in because you have to take into account these are all, like, the top... 1% of the top 1%. Yeah. And so they all chip in, but there's still these four main people that are choosing where they're going and what's happening. And even with that, they were still dedicated to the greater good of the people in whatever place they were in. So they were defying orders from Stratego. So even... So I guess we can analyze what happened in um, the Ender's Game books in China from this viewpoint of a vigilante organization, because even a Stratego here is a government organization, they're defying yes. them. So in that case, then they were defying orders, but they were still doing it under their very rigid stated purpose. Um, and I think what's interesting is that a lot of, a lot of international vigilante esque groups, um, the best one I can think of being anonymous being the most, famous one i know it's not military that's a hacking hacking organization yeah and for those of you who aren't familiar anonymous is not strictly an organization but a very loose group of individuals who participate in hacktivism where they try and hack um different corrupt corrupt politicians goodness and um corporate officials and all sorts of different groups of people um you know in trying to progress their political goals but they don't have a very clear or rigid focus to them even though they're an international um vigilante group and i think yeah oh sorry that's a well that's honestly like a great example and i guess you kind of see that happening to the mops as well as it continues on to the point where they've completely without the strategos whatsoever end up going to the bugger's main ship or the formix main ship and blowing it up all without strategos intervention or cooperation what's like whatsoever and they've became like their own pretty much vigilante group of people who were going off of their own ideals and personal beliefs of the better like the greater good yeah and you see them going 
on, and then eventually they actually become, they get integrated into the international fleet, which you get mm-hmm. introduced to a lot in Ender's Game. Yeah. And they were actually the um, example commanders and the beginning of the international fleet and what the whole fleet was based off of. Yeah. And ended so, up like training the international fleet that you end up seeing in Ender's Game. So the next observation that I want to make um, gets back to the example I gave of like an, an anonymous as another vigilante group, and the fact that anonymous is a lot more amorphous. Oh, excuse me, a lot more amorphous than. Um, something like Mops was, because Mops was a very, a very public, a very um, out there group, and at the same time, they had that kind of military structure to them. So, like in Anonymous, they often have different disagreements about what they're planning to do. Like there was a big thing that Anonymous did a while back called Operation Robin Robin Hood, in which they actually hacked a whole bunch of credit cards and then used that to donate to charities. And a lot of people in Anonymous agreed with that, but there was plenty of them who didn't. So it's much more amorphous, but with that kind of military structure, they were able to have a particular goal, a particular um, a particular set mission, essentially, and then were able to keep that much more rigidly. And also the fact that they were public and out there, unlike Anonymous, is means that the public could hold them to that standard and also could be less afraid of them because a lot of people are scared of Anonymous because you aren't totally certain what their plan is, what they intend to do. But with the mops, you knew what their intent was. They knew who they were and what they were doing. So maybe, honestly, the best implementation here is that they have a multiple country-controlled board over them but not for their whole entire time, just to set in place the rigidness of military. Mm-hmm. But then you take that out of the equation and leave it to the vigilante group so that it's not political, but at the same time still has the idealism of protecting. Yeah. And I think it's also because you have the concern that if you have a vigilante group, you're going to have, obviously, different um, countries declaring them terrorists. Because I'm certain that there's plenty of terrorist organizations who consider themselves vigilantes. So you have that factor of a country could declare them a terrorist, but if it's initially established by a government like you're saying, then we could have the situation where they're not considered a terrorist organization they're considered something legitimate, but still something outside of the control of a government. Yeah, and so, I mean, with that, that kind of covers all of the bases, I think, that we wanted to discuss today, unless yeah. you have any I don't have anything comments. more I want to say, just, um, I don't think it's probably going to ever be politically feasible for us to accomplish this, but that... It ha- I think the MOPS has a lot of things that they can yeah. teach us in the way that like they were international cooperation, that they had a set goal outside of any government's agenda, that they were very, very um, transparent about the way they were doing things, 
and that they focused on inspiring the local communities and working with the local groups of people in order to get things done. Yeah, and so even if they're not feasible, <laughs> at least we can get a lot of takeaways from them and really a lot of takeaways just from discussing how they worked and how they did that just to see what maybe we want to, like, see what may happen and see what we want to maybe someday happen. Or at least what we want to see within our own government of yeah. that kind of transparency and more of a aligned goal. Yeah, because at the end of the day, the day, these are strategies that any government can take away and use in their particular type of organization. Thank you for listening to Counterplan. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice, or send a boost in using a new podcast app, which can be found on newpodcastapps.com. If you want to get in contact, you can email us at counterplan at proton.me or send a boost into the show with a message attached to it. Any messages or emails we get, we'll read out on the show and discuss. Thank you, and see you all next time.